for just a few hundred dollars, anyone can buy a drone, put a camera on it, and control it with their phone. Then you can fly it anywhere and have that view as a bird would flying from the air. It's a marvelous machine, an educational toy even. Imagine what a sixth grade or, or, or kindergarten class, what kind of research project they could do with a drone. Picture flying over Keystone Lake, watching the sailboat races from just above the masts. You know, bird watchers, they could look into the nests that are so high up in the trees that only a scientist gets to see that. Or maybe you're a commercial person and a roofer could fly one over your neighborhood and see who needs a new roof. Or it gets creepier from there. You can fly one and peer into someone's backyard. Or they can hover. They can hover long enough to peer into someone's second story bedroom window. It's a pricey toy, although no more expensive than some exotic breed of pet. Just as cats and dogs are related to tigers and wolves, this commercial drone is genetically related to some very efficient killers. The first modern military drone took flight in 1995 as surveillance, an intelligence gathering tool, but it didn't take long for the MQ-1 Predator to be tricked out with weapons, with very exacting weapons, precise air-to-missile, precise air-to-ground missiles, Hellfire missiles. The first U.S. drone strike that we know about happened in 2005 in Yemen on November 4th. Since drones, or they're also called unmanned aerial vehicles, or in that military lingo, UAVs, have become the darling of both the military and of civilians. Exact military statistics are hard to come by. Drone attacks are covert under President Obama. CIA drone attacks have soared in number in Pakistan. And since a seven-year hiatus, they've begun again in Yemen. And as the size and cost of these drones plummet, the United States isn't alone 
in their use. More than 76 countries have drone programs. It's easier to talk about it in terms of continent. The, their proliferation is so vast. North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Australia, and half of Africa have drone programs of some kind. And military budgets are telling. As ours shrinks, China's and Russia's grow exponentially, and so do their drone programs. Our country and the world's use of drones for exacting killing is deeply troubling. Both military and civilian drones bring up significant ethical issues that we have to look at over and over again as they evolve. Because it's like Pandora's box. The drone technology and the imagination have taken flight. And we have a responsibility as a religious community to never look away from human invention or human annihilation. Because we are a congregation fully committed to right relations with one another, the video game reality of killing from afar with implied precision is abhorrent. It's dreadful. The underpinnings of our covenant keep us from condoning drone warfare. The principles we hold dear, such as human freedom, cooperation, the transforming power of love, the inherent worth and dignity of all people, do not support the use of this technology. You may be wondering whether we're really talking about anything different than weapons that have been used in the past. Aren't we just always escalating in weapons? Haven't we always been able to kill from afar? Certainly from David's sling to Middle Ages trebuchets to stealth bombers, we have been able to carry on remote warfare. We've been able to make a kill from a distance. A drone is different. Once launched, UAVs can be guided by someone thousands of miles away. The pilot is able to control weapons from vast distances while being seated and in no personal danger. Drones can stay in the air much longer through several shifts of crew change. Thus, an UAV can loiter for days looking for Targets of opportunity. And you wouldn't think so, but 
Pilots of drones have PTSD. And that's because, sure, they're watching on a screen, killings happen, but they are commanded to linger afterwards. And so what they see is the result of the Hellfire missile. They see the bodies being blown apart. They see someone's life drain away, writhing in agony in front of them. They see what happens when relatives find their loved ones dead and on the ground, collecting body parts, wrapping people in shrouds. This tool for killing can be remotely persistent, unlike any other weapon in human history. At the heart of drone warfare is war itself, and that gnawing philosophical question of whether killing can ever be justified. Many religious traditions take a very firm stance against war. There is a strong peace church tradition in Christianity. Quakers and Mennonites and Church of the Brethren are just a few of the denominations that come to the theological and ethical decision that violence in any form is contrary to Jesus' teachings. They have a clear peace testimony against war and hence against all drone warfare. Unitarian Universalism, on the other hand, is neither a peace church nor a militant church. Very different approaches to the use of military power have prevailed in our religious history. We've been all over the map. In 1917, the Unitarian General Assembly voted overwhelmingly 236 to 9 to support the Great War as a defense against democracy. Yet, following this vote, following our tradition of the free pulpit, several outspoken ministers took principled pacifist positions preached against the war, and lost their pulpit as a result. Our views of war and peace since Vietnam, through Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, remain as diverse as our theological positions. Today, we're not going to take on the full issue of war, just that subset of drones. I had hoped our historical actions could guide us. But since it's been so inconsistent, let's claim our covenant as the one unifying, powerful, ethical foundation we can apply to critiquing the use of UAVs and exacting target hits. It defines, our covenant defines relationships within a healthy community, but also beyond. 
In fact, recently our Unitarian Universalist Association has done helpful thinking in this area. After years of study, they put together in 2010 and published it um, a statement of conscience called Creating Peace. You can find the whole text on the UUA website, and it's worth reading. And what's interesting about Creating Peace is it moves away from any formal endorsement or rejection of individual wars. Instead, it lays out a broad understanding of the human and systemic frailties that fuel war and conflict. The document proposes a radically inclusive and transformative approach to peace and nonviolence. It takes into account the complexities inherent in all relationships from between nations to within ourselves. Peacemaking and peacekeeping require wisdom and nonviolence at all levels in the world, in society, in our community in families, in our own hearts. No rung of this human ladder can be ignored in the creation of peace. All these human systems and relationships are interwoven. The covenant we keep here at the church instructs how we respond to drone warfare. So let's return to a possible Unitarian Universalist response to UAVs, with this vast network of relationships in mind. One rationale given for using UAVs is the possibility of strategically killing just one or two people, saving everyone else. Advocates claiming drones can save lives are serving up a modern David and Goliath. Like the simplicity of a smooth stone expertly swung in the hands of a practiced shepherd, a drone too can eliminate one critical leader or person from afar. And then history is supposedly changed forever and changed for the better. Unlike the Bible story, the accuracy of a drone is not guaranteed. A precision airstrike is a myth. Even in tests, in test situations, those Hellfire missiles are only accurate 50% of the time, and that's within a circle of accepted accuracy. So if you'll bear with me, let me share with you one account from the Human Rights Watch of a drone strike in Yemen. It clearly depicts the problems of inaccuracy and what it means to kill from a distance. So picture a hot August evening, August 29, 2012, 
Five men were gathered in a grove of date palms behind the local mosque in a village in southeast Yemen. When suddenly an incoming Hellfire missile killed all five men. Now, three of the men may have been members of Al-Qaeda, and the name there is Al-Qaeda of the Arabic Peninsula, so A-Q-A-P, A-Q-A-P. And what I want to do is share the after story that the Human Rights Watch uncovers in their follow-up from the strike. The men were killed, it said, while meeting their fellows. But the two fellows they were meeting had no known links to AQAP. Rather, they were respected members of the community. Salim bin Ali Jaber, a cleric and father of seven, had long preached against AQAP's violent methods. The other was the cleric's cousin, Walid bin Ali Jaber, one of the village's few police officers. Relatives said the three alleged Al-Qaeda AQAP members demanded a meeting with the cleric because the previous Friday he had made a particularly strong denunciation of of, of yeah, of AQAP at the local mosque. Walid Jaber had joined the meeting as a security measure. Now, all five men are dead. Yet the myth persists that precision airstrikes can completely and cleanly take out the bad guy while leaving the innocent untouched. So even if exact killings are possible, our covenant rejects the notion that getting rid of an enemy solves problems. Killing, particularly killing from thousands of miles away, cannot take into full account the web of relationships in that village, in the mosque, in the family or a group finding shade under a date palm. For those of you in church last Sunday, we, were, we watched a scene and drew our own conclusions from afar, and we were often wrong. So these killings are not legitimate steps toward relationship. They're not legitimate steps towards relationship understanding or peace building. Goliath may be long dead, but strife in the Middle East rages on. Unfortunately, drones are rehabilitating the very idea of war. Drone advocates seduce us with the impression we can achieve control over the chaos of war with technology under the guise of eliminating terrorism, it actually fuels it, inflames it. I want you to hear exactly what 
NATO's ambassador, Kurt Volker, wrote in the Washington Post. Drone strikes allow our opponents to cast our country as distant, high-tech, a moral purveyors of death. It builds resentment, facilitates terrorist recruitment, and alienates those we should seek to inspire. Stripping away the high-gloss, high-tech of a drone strike, these killing robots undermine human-to-human relationships and nation-to-nation affairs. Their use is rooted in fear of the other, of the unfamiliar cultures and people and their traditions far away. They are the worst form of dehumanization. They are torture. As villagers live in anticipatory anxiety, When's the next missile going to come? Who is it going to kill? Will it be me? Will it be my children? Will it be my family? Drone warfare strikes at the heart of the inherent worth and dignity of all persons, of our fundamental unity. It reduces human freedom and cooperation into fear and rage. From our secure homes thousands of miles away, a drone strike seems to leave no trace, but that's its greatest myth. Drone warfare severs the ties of human decency. It rends the independent web of life. It is the opposite of the transforming power of love. And our task as individuals and as a church is to help change our country's military policies. We can do it. May it be so.